You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1913th edition of St Edmundsby News Talk for the 26th of January 2023. The editor of this edition is Sheila Franklin, the producer is Harvey Johnson and your readers are Nick and Jill Gain. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. In the headlines this week... Dental charity to visit Suffolk for fifth time amid NHS crisis. Increase in potholes is an accident waiting to happen. Town's floral displays to see more sustainable approach. Rickshaws could become taxi cabs under proposals to expand service in town. A dental charity is said to make its fifth visit to Suffolk to treat patients who are unable to access NHS care as campaigners warn of deep and wide inequalities in dental care in the county. DentAid will be bringing its mobile clinic to Haverhill on Thursday, February 2nd, and Sudbury on Friday, February 3rd, to provide free emergency treatment for people in the local community. In July, this newspaper reported how one million NHS dental appointments had been lost in Suffolk over the last two years while only one district, Mid-Suffolk, was taking on new NHS patients. Previously, the Dentate Clinics, organised by campaign group Toothless in Suffolk, have visited Leyston and Bury St Edmunds, spending four days in the towns in November 2021 and February 2022, treating 163 patients. The charity also visited Haverhill in October, seeing 35 patients. Dentate Chief Executive Andy Evans said, We are looking forward to returning to Suffolk and helping people in the Haverhill and Sudbury communities out of dental pain. Previous experience shows us there's huge demand for our charitable dental services and we expect there to be long queues this time too. The clinics will take place on Dentate's mobile Dentate units and treatments available will include fillings and extractions in addition to oral cancer screening and dental health advice. They will be held in Haverhill Market Square outside St Mary's Church and outside Sudbury Town Hall from 10am to 4pm. Appointments aren't necessary but Dentate is advising people to arrive early and be prepared to wait. Attendees must live in the Haverhill or Sudbury area and be currently experiencing dental pain and have no other way of accessing dental care. Mark Jones, co-founder of Toothless in Suffolk, said, This will be Dentate's fifth visit to Suffolk and it goes to show just how deep and wide the health inequalities are when it comes to NHS dental care provision here. But Suffolk is not unique in this regard. What we are witnessing is a result of a managed decline in this NHS service, which the government began back in 2006 by imposing a contract onto the dentists, which they were repeatedly warned would not serve the best interests of the patients. 
Concerns have been raised over the shocking state of Berries and Edmonds roads as more than 1,000 potholes across Suffolk await repair. Jane Gunsman of Morton Hall notified Suffolk Highways about a huge pothole which is effectively two joined together, covering half the width of Skyline Away. However, the next day she was told the pothole that had been there for months did not warrant remedial action. There are also other smaller potholes further along the road. She said, it's shocking. I can't understand how those roads have got in that state and they've done nothing about it. I'm not the only person to have reported those potholes. Suffolk Highway said there had been a significant increase in the number of potholes due to the cold weather and the one in Skyline Away would be closely monitored and inspected on a monthly basis. Suffolk Highway said, as of January the 12th, there were 1,033 potholes in the county awaiting repair that meet intervention criteria. Since October the 1st, 2,098 potholes have been fixed with 2,178 reported. West Suffolk councillor Trevor Beckwith, who represents Morton Hall, said there were potholes everywhere due to the winter weather. A lot of problems are caused by lack of resurfacing and lack of proper maintenance, he said. A Suffolk Highway spokeswoman said that during cold and wet weather, freezing water on roads opens up cracks, bursts in the asphalt. The significant increase was mainly in the west of the county as inland areas were generally colder. Suffolk Highways is working to repair potholes as quickly and efficiently as possible, whilst also investing in preventative road maintenance, such as surface dressing and road resurfacing to help stop new potholes forming, she said. We encourage the public to continue reporting any road defects via our highways reporting tool. The new coordinator of Berry and Bloom is hoping to change up this year's summer display by putting sustainability firmly at the top of the agenda. Chris Wiley, who lives near Stowmarket, is taking over the reins from former coordinator David Irvine and is hoping to emulate his predecessor's success. He said, It's a very exciting role that I've been looking forward to. I can't wait to get stuck into it and continue Berry's success. There's lots of challenges and opportunities along the way and ones I look forward to seeing through. The 27-year-old has always been in, in the horticultural industry with his family having an agricultural background. He studied production horticulture at Otley College while working at Harvest Garden Plants in Thurston, which specialises in growing unusual plants. Now he runs his own business, Sustainable Plant Store, an online shop that sells sustainability-grown plants and garden products. And it is this passion he will bring into his new role. I would like to focus on the more sustainability side of things, adapting to our climate, he he added. I'm trying to reflect the seasons to show what can be done which doesn't have to be high maintenance and recycling as much as possible. There are plant varieties out there that are much better suited and adapted to our UK climate conditions. So it would be great to promote those in the beds, which obviously means less watering for the town as well. I see the summer bedding plants, verbenas and and pansies violas, like the fast fashion industry. They're great for one season, but then they're thrown out and then they're replaced next year. 
I would like to see a style that maybe gets through winter a bit better. Plants that can be kept from one season to another. Chris will continue the work of recycling rainwater and more rainwater tanks are being put in place in the coming weeks. He hopes that the team at Berry and Bloom will lead by example and inspire residents. I am very passionate about having great floral displays, he said. I am dedicated to continuing Berry's success. I'm looking to help promote plants to help people better understand what is suited to their gardens. Rather than concentrating or putting in an area of patio in their gardens, they can fill it with plants that they don't have to spend a lot of time, maintenance or money on. Rickshaws could become the new taxi cabs in Bury St Edmunds under new plans to expand the current voluntary service into a fair-paying opportunity for tourists. The West Suffolk Council Licensing and Regulatory Committee will be discussing the possibility of offering licences to rickshaw drivers at its next meeting on Monday. In a report published on its website, the council detailed that it was approached last year by a provider of pedicabs who wished to transfer from running a voluntary service to a fare-driven model. Co-founder of the Berries and Edmunds rickshaw charity, Libby Ranzetta, 55, said the organisation is looking to expand into a green taxicab service. This would not affect the charity's current offering of giving free rides for local people experiencing social isolation, complete with chatty chum volunteers to accompany solo passengers. We're in the very early stages and would need the members of our community to agree before we proceed, said Ms Ranzetta. Having recently expanded into a commercial delivery service named EcoCarriers BSC, the not-for-profit enterprise decided to also explore the opportunity for a cycle taxi service. Miss Franzetta added, Berry St Edmunds Rickshaw will stay the same, and if this new concept proves to be successful, we would like to introduce two or three pedicabs dependent on funding. Mark Cordell Chief Executive of the Bury St Edmunds Business Improvement District believes the introduction of a rickshaw taxi service would be a huge success from a tourism perspective. We had a number of queries from tourists who wanted a hire one to see the sights last year, he said. The priority is around their current passengers experiencing socialisation, but this would be a great offer for tourists to expand their current provision of services. As this idea would result in the business receiving payments, West Suffolk Council has advised that the company would need to be licensed. However, the Council's existing hackney carriage and private hire handbook only covers conditions for taxi drivers and operators and would have to be rewritten to extend to pedal-powered vehicles. The Licensing and Regulatory Committee is discussing this matter on Monday ahead of a potential review of policy later in the year. And now to our general news section. Nurses and nursing assistants joined a picket line outside West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds as they took part in this week's Royal College of Nursing strike action. RCN members, including those who work for the West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trusts, were demanding fair pay and improved patient safety. One of those on the picket line was Jo Domini, 59, a district nurse sister who has worked for the NHS, NHS for more than 20 years. Mrs Dominey, who lives in Mildenhall and works within the community team in Brandon, said, What brought us here is beyond comprehension. We had no choice. The picket supervisor explained that for her, 
patient safety was the main reason she had chosen to strike. She said that over recent years, daily patient visits in the community had gone up from an average of 8 a day to 15 to 20 a day. This was despite staffing levels being below what her team was used to. Mrs Dominey added, What are now not doing the job that we were trained to do and that we love to do? We are fed up of putting our integrity on the line. Describing herself as a pro-NHS, Mrs Dominey continued, I am striking to ensure there is someone to look after me when I am older. Nurses are the backbone of the NHS and everyone knows that. The nurses and nursing assistants taking part in the strike in below zero temperatures were supported by passers-by who beat their car horns and waved. They were also provided with hot drinks and food. It is lovely to hear the horns beeping, said Mrs Dominey. In my mind, I wasn't expecting support from the public, but they seem to understand what we are doing. Joining her on the picket line on Wednesday was Madeleine O'Brien, 56, who has also been nursing for more than 20 years. Ms O'Brien, who works at West Suffolk Hospital, said she felt very sad that nurses had been forced to strike. She said, I never thought this day would come, and it isn't just about pay, it is about respect for the NHS. There won't be an NHS soon if we don't do something about it. When asked if she had a message for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Health Secretary Steve Barclay, Ms O'Brien said, Show the NHS the respect it deserves. It's worth fighting for. RCN members will strike again next month. A war widow whose husband died in a bomber crash in Suffolk has been located in New Zealand. Nessie Wenman was married to John Duncan Broadley, one of the pilots of a plane that sadly went down in Great Fimbra in 1941. The plane, Wellington Bomber from 99 Squadron RAF, was returning from an operation in Germany when it crashed in the early hours of September 29th. John was only 23 when he died in the crash, along with five others, according to aircraft records. He is buried in St Catherine's Churchyard, Ringsall. His widow, Nessie, who is now 100, has said she is absolutely thrilled with a new memorial at the crash site. Nessie made contact with the Ringsall Village Hall in 2020 to make sure that her late husband's grave was being looked after. Kelly Snowling, who was on the committee for Ringsall Village Hall, said, Nessie's neighbour, Pat Wakeling, got hold of me in the very first lockdown. They made contact on the Facebook page and wanted to make sure that the grave was being looked after. It was lockdown, so we said we would go down and put flowers down. I've kept in touch over the last few years. I've kept in touch and put flowers on the grave every Anzac Day for her. She's always a bit sad around Anzac Day. Anzac Day is the National Day of Remembrance in Australia and New Zealand. The crash had been largely forgotten about until Stowmarket Air Cadets noticed five grades in the churchyard with the same date. After some research, they discovered the crash site and raised more than £2,000 for a memorial, which was unveiled in September. Kelly said that Nessie was very emotional about the new memorial. Miss Snowling said, It's one of those wartime sad stories. Her first love has always been very fresh in her mind after all these years. She still thinks about him after all these years and all those miles away. The RAF Air Cadets 1331 Stowmarket Squadron was delighted to find out about the living relative. 
Paula Houghton, Flight Lieutenant and Officer Commanding, said, I was also thrilled to find out about Nessie. What a wonderful connection to discover. The cadets and staff involved in the project were delighted to find out that a living relative of one of those honoured had learned about our project and was thrilled by what we have done. It is an honour to remember these servicemen and learning about Nessie has been the icing on the cake of a brilliant achievement for this group of young people. The community is celebrating after raising more than £160,000 to revitalise a village pub. More than 190 residents have contributed to the project to revamp the Elmswell Tavern after fundraising began in October last year. A second round of fundraising has now been launched while organisers also pursue further grant funding opportunities. We don't have a target figure at the moment as we are working on the basis the more we can raise the better the pub will be, said Peter Dow, Secretary of the Elmswell Community Enterprise, which is overseeing the plans. Residents and businesses can now buy further shares until May this year. And now we have proven the strength of the enterprise, we are in a position to pursue further grant funding options. The money raised so far shows the strength of feeling for what will be a great community asset. Elmswell Parish Council first bought the pub as going concern in March 2020 from Green King. It was then taken over and managed by Elmswell Community Enterprise, who kept it open until January 1st this year. The long-term plan is raise enough funds to incorporate a new kitchen and dining room. Given the time of year and after hitting our first fundraising target, we decided to close the pub to start preparatory work, stripping back inside for the refurbishment, said Mr Dow. We could open it again now with a lick of paint, but without the scope to offer food, we believe the business would struggle. With the first investors now on board, planning can really begin, with the long-term aim of adding to the existing rich choices on offer at the village's Blackbourne Centre and Wesley Meeting Room with its new coffee shop. The response from consult consultations with community groups also put food at the top of the list for the tavern. Equally important is the need to look after the various community groups which include the Elmswell Food Bank, Monthly Bingo, Quizzes, Karaoke and Music, Family Fun Days. We will open when we are ready to present the village a community facility which is far more than a pub. Leaders of a charity providing housing for young parents at risk of homelessness have spoken of the financial difficulties faced by its residents because of the cost of living crisis. West Suffolk Council gave Riverside, the charity that runs Acorn House in Berries and Edmonds, £900 from the government's restart grant scheme last year. This helped Riverside to improve its outside facilities, but the charity's main concerns have moved from COVID to the impact of the cost of living crisis on its residents. Jennifer Howarth, service manager at Riverside, said, The grant made a huge difference to the families. Restrictions during the pandemic meant our parents and their children couldn't socialise or develop through play. Once restrictions were lifted, we used the funding from West Suffolk Council to purchase equipment including a gazebo, barbecue, paddling pool and outside toys. This provided the 12 young families and three single care leavers we were supporting with opportunities to socialise, 
and we can continue using these items for our new families. However, it was now the deepening cost of living crisis that is causing worries. Ms Howarth said, New parents often have to wait until their baby has a birth certificate before making a claim which can leave them without money temporarily. We've applied for small cash donations from charity Church Homeless Trust to support parents in this situation at Acorn House. We have focused on ensuring our young customers have the skills necessary to manage their finances during this challenging time so they can successfully move on and manage their own home. We also run regular lunch clubs for struggling parents and toddlers so that we know they have had a good hot meal which also supports them with everyday costs. Acorn House provides flats and support to parents aged 16 to 25 who are homeless or at risk of homelessness in Bury St Edmunds. Robert Everett, Cabinet Member for Families and Communities at West Suffolk Council said, The restart grants were about giving our communities the confidence to get out and active after the lifting of restrictions. It did just that by supporting the groups and clubs with the equipment, staff or other resource they needed to welcome people back in a Covid secure way and expand and cater for the needs of more people. Christmas may only just have gone, but planning has already started for Christmas 23. Christmas celebrations in Bray's and Edmonds this year will consist of a number of attractions across five weeks. A partnership held a linked set of events over the final weekend in November last year after West Suffolk Council decided not to host the town's nationally acclaimed Christmas fair that attracted about 130,000 people. Although football, sorry, although footfall increased year on year, many visitors were disappointed with the scale of the event, with some brought on buses from out of town expecting a full-scale fair. Mark Cordell, chief executive of Our Berries and Edmonds bid, which is in the partnership, said a number of people expressed disappointment about the quality and quantity of attractions and the misconception that the Christmas fair was going to happen. This was compounded by a lack of infrastructural support around parking for cars and coaches, he said. As a result, Mr Cordell said the partnership had agreed this year to revert back to the successful model of 2021 with a number of individual events organised by different parties over five weeks rather than predominantly over one weekend. We are hopeful that proactive marketing about what's available in Bury for Christmas will prevent the problems of last year recurring, he said. If any private or any other organisations wants to deliver or get involved in events in the five weeks run-up, we would be delighted to hear from them. A 44-home development in Elmswell has been rejected due to its encroachment into countryside land and safety concerns for residents walking to nearby businesses. Mid-Suffolk District Council's planning committee refused the plans for the land east of Warren Lane on Wednesday with officer recommendations and that the problems outweighed the benefits. Applicants JD and RJ Baker Farms Limited gained permission for 38 homes in 2018, although they have since extended the application site to include countryside land. Applicant agent James Bailey said, this is a site that previously had planning permission and has long been identified in the emerging local plan. The officer's refusal recommendation has come as a surprise and a disappointment. Officers had previously recommended approval in December 2021 
and March 2022. But councillors deferred, wanting more information. Newmarket is taking its next steps towards a permanent cinema with a mobile lorry pop-up project to gauge interest in the town. The Newmarket Charitable Foundation is working with the Jockey Club to explore the possibility of renovating the subscription rooms, previous home of the National Horse Racing Museum, to become a boutique cinema. If there's enough support from the community, this project would also include a space for a cafe and light refreshments. Dr David Hall, Executive Director of the Newmarket Charitable Foundation, said, The success of the project depends on securing substantial funding from various heritage funds, including the National Lottery. To do this, we need to demonstrate engagement and support from across the community. To launch a process of community questionnaires, they are installing a 100-seat indoor HGV-based mobile cinema. From Thursday, February the 9th to Sunday, February 19th, the mobile cinema will be based on the severals and will show a variety of family films. A bomb squad was deployed to tackle an unexploded device on the outskirts of Milton Hall. The historic ordnance device was uncovered at Island Marina, which is on the Suffolk border with Cambridgeshire, on Monday the 23rd of January. The device was found to be a three-inch practice mortar, which was used from the Second World War to the late 1960s. A 50-metre cordon was put in place surrounding the explosive. Around 2pm, Mildenthal Police released images of the bomb with the message, Not what you expect to find in your basement. A spokesman for Suffolk Police confirmed officers were called to the marina late on Monday morning. An explosive ordnance disposal team from Colchester was dispatched to the scene. At 4pm, the Ministry of Defence confirmed that the explosive was a substitute device and the cordon was lifted. An MOD spokesman said, We can confirm that an Army Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team from Colchester Troop was called out to Island Marina Ely at the request of Suffolk Police. A device was identified and safely recovered for subsequent disposal. The residents of the 16 homes in the nearby area were invited to return and the device was removed. Mildenhall Police thanked the public for their assistance. New plans for an abandoned Bury St Edmunds shopping centre have had a mixed reception from nearby residents. Knightspur Homes has submitted revised proposals for the Cornhill Walk site after a previous scheme was rejected by the Planning Inspectorate in 2001 on the grounds of mass scale and proximity to Moyes Hall. Now, the developer wants to build 45 homes and two ground floor commercial units, along with car and cycle parking. The shopping centre, which was built on the site of an Art Deco cinema, closed in 2016. The rejected scheme included 48 homes, as well as shops and leisure facilities. A design and access statement submitted to West Suffolk Council planners said, Declining need in retail in the area gives an opportunity to change the use of the site to mixed use. Provision of residential units along with a smaller number of better quality and visible retail spaces will revitalise the area. The new plan includes 37 flats, with associated parking and two three-bedroom semi-detached houses, 
as well as townhouses. The proposed development on the site of Cornhill Walk Shopping Centre aims to revitalise the area, the application added. Pauline Judge of the Wells Street Residents Association said, The new design follows the recommendations of the inspector from the appeal and has covered most of the points we, as residents, were concerned about. As the number of households will be more than doubled in Wells Street and the entrance exit to the internal car park is on Wells Street, we must get used to higher volumes of traffic and even more pressure on parking. It will be good to see people living at the top of the road. We are hoping the developers will follow through and produce a high-quality, well-insulated, good-looking building that can be a credit to the town. It is now up to our planning department to be rigorous in its scrutiny. But Well Street resident Roland Smith raised questions over car parking. He believes the planned 48 car parking spaces falls way short of Suffolk guidance, which, if applied rigorously, would dictate 87 car parking and 90 cycle parking spaces for the development. This is madness and simply will not work in practice, he said. ITV Anglia host Becky Jago is under fire for apparently supporting controversial anti-vax views online. The newsreader, who was a student at Stowmarket High School, shared videos popular within the anti-vax community and liked Twitter posts challenging high-profile vaccine supporters to a debate on natural immunity versus <coughs> vax and defending anti-vax MP Andrew Bridgen. She also posted a link to a story about a woman who suffered side effects from the vaccine, along with a quote about making people more aware of the risks. The NHS states... COVID vaccines approved for use in the UK have met strict standards of safety, quality and effectiveness. ITV and Jago refused to comment. But after this newspaper approached ITV, the tweets republished here were deleted. On Wednesday evening, the 46-year-old did not appear on air with Victoria Lampard standing in. Furious, Elysia Depledge, who lost her mum Jenny to COVID, said... It's worse because her job is to stick to the facts. It's not her job to push this stuff. Jago, who previously featured on Sky Sports News, Newsround and GMTV, also liked to tweet praising tennis player Novak Djokovic for his anti-vax stunts and a video calling for a certain vaccine to be withdrawn. She has now changed her Twitter biography from a cryptic message about freedom of speech to a message saying updates were her own views and that retweets and likes are not endorsements. Jago, who has more than 6,000 followers, appears to have been liking messages relating to Covid conspiracies since 2021, including a post describing masks and jabs as modern insanity. Another tweet liked in 2021 claimed that vaccines did not stop the spread of Covid and said they barely slowed it. Professor Paul Hunter at the University of East Anglia joined Ms Depledge in slamming anti-vax tweeters, saying members of the community had been misrepresenting the facts around the increase of excess deaths in the UK to fit their agenda. He said, People are coming up with outrageous things about the vaccine. Vaccines aren't killing everything. No medical intervention is free from risk, whether that's a vaccine or an operation. But what we have to do as scientists is weigh up the risk, and in this case it's significantly lower than the benefits. People with the vaccine are less likely to die than those who aren't.
People on social media are deliberately and intentionally distorting the science. As scientists, we can only say the truth as we see it. It's disappointing to see this sort of thing on Twitter, but that's how it is. Mr Hunter said the issue was a growing problem on social media. He added, it's full of conspiracy theorists now, and anti-vax is unfortunately part of that. A baptism, blessing and brew will mark the return of bells at Troston Church after a long-running restoration saga. On Sunday 22nd of January, the bells at St Mary's Church were baptised and blessed by the Right Reverend Martin Seeley, Bishop of St Edmundsbury and Ipswich. Later this month, the first full peal ring of the bells will be celebrating the brewery of a special ale by the Troston Bull Pub. It marks the end of a long-running saga to see the bells, which were cast in 1868 but had become unringable by 1939, restored to the church. The bells were removed from the tower in 1962 for refurbishment. However, they could not be rehung due to lack of funds. They were eventually rehung last autumn thanks to a generous donation from Helmet Class. Suffolk's residents will be invited to share their views on the county's devolution deal this summer if Cabinet gives its support next week. The decision on Tuesday will mark one step in the process towards council leader elections planned for next May. The election, which a central part of devolution, is expected to take place on May 2nd next year and the first leader's term would last five years. Speaking before the provisional signing of devolution deal last month, council leader Kath Councillor Matthew Hicks described it as the first step towards an exciting future for the county. It will give Suffolk County Council control over £16 million of investment funding annually for the next 30 years. Devolved power would also be given over the council's adult education budget. The British Heart Foundation in Ipswich Street is hosting an event to celebrate two decades of community spirit. The charity shop will be celebrating the milestone on Monday, February 6th with a buffet and certificate presentation for staff working 10, 15 and 20 years of work. Assistant Manager Phil Aldous joined the team as a volunteer in 2009 after both his grandfathers, Frederick and Kenneth, died due to heart-related issues. He said, When I lost my granddad, I really didn't understand what a heart attack was. I've been lucky enough to see where the money goes and I've seen the BHF research firsthand, which is just incredible. And that makes such a difference when you're raising money for charity. That's the real reason why I do this job and I honestly love every minute of it. Thurston is to get new allotments after the Parish Council secured land for community assets. The Council announced it had negotiated the freehold of 10 acres of open space at the heart of the village the freehold to the New Green Community Centre, a two and a half acre site for a community wood and further allotments adjacent to the Thurston Primary Academy, which would help the school's forest school status and allow pupils access to outdoor education. For the past year, the council has been negotiating with a local landowner on two planning projects in the village. In return for the community land, the parish council will support two small planning applications on Church View at Manor Farm and at Barrels Green. Meanwhile, the parish will take over ownership of the allotments at Barrels Green 
which would be expanded to accommodate 20 plots. The council said the ownership agreement would allow it to secure future economic, social and environmental benefits to support the needs of the village and protect important areas. A council spokeswoman said there were no firm plans to enhance the 10 acres of land and New Green Community Centre freehold as any extra community facilities would be subject to public consultation. However, the freehold would allow any plans to be made with a permanency and preserve the green space and land in perpetuity. It is thought the new community wood would accommodate 20 allotments, bringing the number of plots owned by the parish <coughs> across two sites to 40. The new Barrels Road allotments could be available in early spring 2024 and the community wood site plots in late spring. A start date for works that will see a 20-mile stretch of the A14 close has been announced. National Highways, which maintains the country's road network, announced its plans for the roadworks last year. The work is set to get underway on Tuesday, February 7th. The A14 between Junction 47A for Hawley and Junction 49 at Tothill outside Stowmarket will be upgraded as part of the works. However, National Highways has confirmed the road between junctions 43 and 51 from Bury St Edmunds to Needham Market, almost 20 miles in distance, will be closed for up to two weeks to construct a contraflow. The full road closures will take place overnight when there is less traffic. The A14 will only be closed in one direction at a time. A statement on National Highway's website said, Our repairs will help improve the safety of the road surface, but it will also provide a smoother and quieter journey for road users. Rather than repairing the potholes and cracking, the whole carriageway will be reconstructed and relayed to ensure a smoother, safer ride. Once complete, we expect the life of the road surface to be extended by up to 40 more years, with fewer future closures for maintenance repairs, meaning more reliable journeys for road users. A diversion route will be in place, which is as follows. For eastbound traffic, exit the A14 at Junction 43 and take the A143 towards Dis, then the A140 towards Ipswich, to rejoin the A14 at Junction 51. For westbound traffic, it is the reverse of the eastbound diversion. The diversion is expected to add on around 40 minutes to people's journeys. People's journeys. Our first letter is from Sunetra Sarka, Site Sales Ambassador, and is titled, Your Donations Can Help to Save Site. I'm an ambassador for international development organisation, Site Savers, and incredibly grateful to supporters in Suffolk for helping transform lives across Africa and Asia. In 2022, Site Savers helped eliminate trachoma in Malawi, freeing the country from the world's leading infectious cause of blindness. Trachoma starts as an infection that can turn eyelashes inwards so that they scrape painfully across the eye and cause irreversible sight loss. It's hard to imagine the agony. Eliminating trachoma requires support from governments, partners and donations from individuals like you. Sightsavers told me about Akiwa in Malawi who farms maize and weaves mats for a living. 
The pain from trachoma led her to cut her eyelashes and rely on her granddaughter to cook, fetch water and farm. I was thrilled to learn that surgery through Sightsavers helped Akiwa regain her independence and return to work. We are another step closer to beating the disease globally, but other countries still need your support. It costs as little as 18 pence to protect an individual from trachoma for a year and start a wiber ritual effect that transforms lives and communities. Find out more about the impact of your donations and how to continue supporting Sightsavers at www.sightsavers.org forward slash thank you. Our next letter is from Graham Day of Stowmarket. He writes, Having watched a junior defence minister flounder around like a lost, beached and incompetent whale on question time when seeking to talk about the government position on the NHS, I have a suggestion. It may seem radical, but it is clear that neither the Health Secretary nor the Prime Minister has a clue and do not care. This may seem radical, but perhaps they both should be put into separate ambulances and each taken to different hospitals, which have serious waiting problems, where they are kept in the ambulance for the maximum time in that area, before being removed and taken into a corridor to wait to be seen, hopefully in the longest possible waiting time. Then and only then might they have an understanding as to the problems in the NHS which affect everyone else, often dangerously so. They need to understand the problems. So though radical, this idea might provide a small glimmer of hope. However, given the disgraceful performance of the government on this and other strike situations, I do not hold my breath. Desperation, unfortunately, brings forward desperate solutions. Hopefully one day we will have a competent government that cares rather than this incompetent tribe. Road closure, recipe for disaster. I write to express my disgust at the handling of the closure of School Road, Elmsville, for 12 weeks, which started on Monday, January the 16th. Suffolk County Council should hang their heads in shame because diverting all HGV traffic along New Road in both directions is a recipe for damage, delay and carries a high risk of personal injury for any pedestrians. Allowing Bloor Homes a 12-week road closure is in itself a disgraceful decision. I have no objection to Bloor Homes building 86 new houses. However, it is madness to allow permission to build 86 new houses without suitable infrastructure. I suggest to the planning officers that Elmswell infrastructure is already unfit for purpose before the 12-week road closure. Why can the planning department not realise this basic fact? Elmswell needs improved infrastructure before allowing permission for any more houses. Another way of traffic crossing the railway is essential before there is a major incident. Now that school road is closed for 12 weeks, why must the residents and businesses of Elmswell suffer damage and delay for the benefit of Bloor Homes? In addition, why does Suffolk County Council think that a permanent 7.5-tonne weight limit on the 1088 at Bridge Farm near Stowlantoft is a good solution? This forces HGV traffic to use unsuitable roads to gain access to the A14. So where do many of them travel through? You guessed it, Elmswell. Is it unreasonable to expect some investment by government to solve some of the traffic problems 
rather than install 7.5 tonne weight limits and hope the problem goes away. Suffolk County Council appear to me unable to communicate. Their handling of many traffic and planning issues is abysmal. I feel sorry for any visitor from another county or country visiting Suffolk trying to negotiate Elmswell and thinking, this is utter madness. Why have they directed HGVs along such an unfit piece of road? And that letter was from Simon Wilson, H.C. Wilson Transport Limited, Elmswell. This letter is from E. Martin of Ipswich. Fed up with potholes and more. I ride a motorcycle and twice in Ipswich recently I've had to take avoiding action not to get my front wheel in a large pothole. Had I been moving faster and less experienced, I could possibly have somersaulted over the handlebars, causing damage to me and the bike. I pay council tax and motor vehicle tax, and it angers me that I and hundreds of other motorcyclists still have to ride on rough and dangerous roads in this town. In the estate at the western end of this town, grass verges between the road and the footpath are slowly disappearing. They've been turned into mud pits with the holes full of water and mud spread over footpaths with broken and uneven paving slabs. It seems nobody cares. Also, a dog mess on some footpaths. What a civilised society we are. Bearing in mind that all of the above could be rectified, but hasn't been so far, and probably not likely to be. What is the point of councillors? Have they not noticed what is going on in the outer reaches of this town? Perhaps they haven't trodden in anything recently, or hit a pothole. Rita Woods from Soham in Cambridgeshire says, Thank you for my help after my fall. On October the 29th, I visited Bury St Edmunds with three friends to do some shopping. I had to take my walker to help me walking and we were going to the sewing and knitting shop when my walker caught an uneven stone and I was thrown to the ground. Unfortunately, I had broken my hip. An ambulance was called, but with a wait time of eight hours. But help came. First a gentleman who told me he was a first aider and confirmed I had broken my hip. He would not give me his name, so a very big thank you to him. He will know who he is. Two ladies arrived to help me and explained they were both midwives at West Suffolk Hospital. One was called Georgina and the other was Lydia. Both were so kind. A lady from the air ambulance came along and decided four hours on the ground was too much and I was getting very cold. After four and a half hours, a car ambulance arrived and I was taken to West Suffolk Hospital where I was met with such kindness. To all the local shops who sent out blankets and hot water bottles, I send my thanks to one and all. To all concerned, a very big thank you. I am now home and progressing well. Would you please be kind enough to print my letter to express my thanks to one and all who helped me? Tom Murray of Bury St Edmunds writes, Several town centre buildings need some TLC. Last week's Bury Free Press highlighted an empty building on Abbeygate Street as being an eyesore. It's not the only one. A really important building housing, a famous sausage roll brand, has a huge building in a really terrible state of disrepair. Plaster peeling from the upper walls, windows in need of repair, overflowing gutters and a beautiful facade now in a rotting and peeling mess. We cannot, why cannot something be done to put its facade back to its previous great condition? 
Ditto with a well-known nightclub in a similar state of disrepair. Our town centre has many great shops, however look at the upper facades and many are in need of some TLC. Surely the district council or county council has some powers to insist that the landlords or owners make the much needed repairs to these facades. Don Black from Dis writes, Hold your horses! is my reaction on seeing the East Anglian Daily Times report about Freeport East getting approval and a £25 million boost to create jobs and an opinion piece by Suffolk Coastal MP and Environment Secretary Therese Coffey saying Freeport East will be great for jobs, trade and the future of ports. Fine, but what about thousands of enterprises beyond the new boundaries? They would suffer from unfair competition caused by lower taxes and fewer regulations. The only saving grace is that Stowe Market is added to Felixstowe and Harwich in the scheme. Stowe Market was also a port until the railways arrived to end its barge trade along the River Gipping, canalised at great cost. That, however, is just emotion and history. When William, Prince of Wales, piloted his Anglian air ambulance helicopters, he would have noted the numerous wartime airfields in our region, most with industrial estates built on them, but now outside the promised land. We have too many boundaries already, including, thanks to Brexit, the threatened customs barrier across the Irish Sea. The British Isles, small in world terms, should be one economic unit. Air Commodore Paul Hodgeston of the RAF writes the following. We're here to help the RAF family. With the cost of living soaring, economic uncertainty after the pandemic and the conflict in Ukraine affects fuel costs, it is a tough time for many. It is important to ensure that we offer support to those who are struggling with financial difficulties and mental and physical ill health. The RAF and its people are resilient and fantastic at facing fear, mitigating risk and getting the job done. But sometimes life throws a spanner in the works and you can't simply rely on your training, on your professional skills or your can-do attitude. You need additional support. And that's where the RAF Benevolent Fund comes in. We're here to support RAF personnel, past and present, in need during those times when there's no manual to follow, providing practical, financial and emotional support to RAF personnel, veterans and their partners and dependents. That's what we do, supporting members of the RAF family, whenever and wherever they need us. We're here, through thick and thin, if you're part of the RAF family or you know someone who is struggling this winter, please get in touch. We're here to help and want to help. We also value your support and all donations will go towards improving the lives of serving or former RAF personnel and their families and dependents. E.N. Allen from Berries and Edmonds says, The death of Ronald Blythe means the passing of a distinguished writer on Suffolk and Suffolk people. He was preceded by, in my opinion, a far superior writer. George Ewart Evans, who came to Suffolk in the mid-1940s when his wife took up a teaching post in East Suffolk. Evans interviewed many people in their 80s and recorded details of life working on the land and elsewhere. The difference between the two writers was that Blythe described the lives of ordinary working people. 
Evans, tape recording their words, let them speak for themselves. Clifford Davy of Stowmarket writes, Should we have our cake? Professor Susan Jebb of the Food Agency has made me feel guilty. She has suggested banning the ritual of taking cakes into the workplace. At the moment, we have builders workers working on our bathroom. So being a social friendly sort, I have been making cups of tea, builder's tea obviously, and offering slices of my wife's delicious chocolate cake, which has been eagerly accepted. So am I encouraging these hard-working chaps to indulge in such delights or showing appreciation of their efforts? In fact, the subject has made me peckish, (laughs) so I may now tuck in too. I plead not guilty. For our first feature this week, Barbara Eels writes of a forthcoming exhibition at Berry Guildhall this summer. The exhibition will tell of the impact of World War II on relationships in Suffolk through stories of couples brought together by the conflict. When World War II plunged Britain into its darkest hour, countless couples were torn apart. For most, the separation was temporary. For others, it ended in tragedy. But love also blossomed, often between people who, without the conflict, would never have met. In April, the stories of couples from different countries brought together by war will be told in an exhibition at the Guildhall in Bury. Love and War in Suffolk will explore the impact that the war had on romantic relationships in Suffolk, with its unique position being so close to Europe, said Guildhall Heritage Officer Katie Everard. Service personnel from Allied nations were stationed at air bases in the county, which was also the site of prisoner of war and resettlement camps. Alongside the pressures of wartime conditions and separated from loved ones, unique bonds were formed, said Katie. Some of these bonds were enduring, others were fleeting, but each left behind a legacy that feeds into Suffolk's rich history. Personal objects, testimony, photographs, love letters and diaries will be on show, and the Guildhall team is calling for more people who would be willing to share their family stories to get in touch. Guildhall volunteer Catherine Buchanan has been researching Suffolk's so-called G.I. Brides, who married United States Air Force servicemen and left their home county to live in America. She searched for weddings and engagements in the Berry Free Press archives, then, armed with the names, went to an online ancestry site to trace their families and discover what happened to them. One of those she contacted is Amber Heard, the granddaughter of G.I. Bride Joyce Allen from Berry. Joyce and U.S. Air Force armourer Melvin Korb met at a dance in Lavenham in 1944 and married a few months later. Amber, who lives in Arizona, takes up the story of her much-loved Nana and Pop, who helped her mother to raise her after her parents divorced. Joyce went to a dance with her sister Daisy. As my Pop told it, she asked him to hold her coat while she was dancing with one of his buddies. When she came back for her coat, she asked him to dance and his reply was, OK, if it's a slow one. And the rest was history, she said. Joyce was born in Bury in 1924. Melvin, born in 1922 in Baltimore, was stationed with the 487th Bomb Group at Lavenham Airfield. Joyce and Melvin were married for 56 years until her death in 2001. He died nine years later. But not all the stories were happy. 
For some GI brides, dreams of a prosperous, even glamorous new life in a new country ended in disillusionment. The reality was often much tougher. The adjustment must have been enormous. If the marriages didn't survive, it's not surprising, said Catherine. Other girls were left pregnant and a home for unmarried mothers, abandoned by their American boyfriends, was set up in Berry. Black US servicemen who fell for English girls were denied permission to marry by their commanding officers and sent back to America. Professor Lucy Bland, whose book Britain's Brown Babies tells the story of mixed-race children left behind, is also providing information and giving a talk during the exhibition. The Guildhall already has a unique connection to World War II. It housed the Royal Observer Corps Operations Room, which can still be seen and is the only one in the country to be preserved. With us also being a wedding venue, the subject sat quite well with the history of the building and what we currently do, said Katie. War themes quite often draw in people who are interested in war, but looking at the relationships opens it up to a busier, bigger audience. If anyone has a story they would like to be included in the exhibition, or mementos such as photographs, valentine cards, or even wedding dresses, please email tell us at berrystedmondsguildhall.org.uk as soon as possible. In his latest article, local historian, author and tour guide Martin Taylor considers Hardwick Manor's healthy future. With the recent news that a new hospital for Bury St Edmunds and its surrounding district is to be built in the grounds of Hardwick Manor, perhaps this could be an apt time to reflect as to the origins of this property. When Dame Anne Cullum, the second wife of the Reverend Sir Thomas Jerry Cullum, made her will, it included an entailment clause whereby only male members of the family would be able to inherit the Hardwick estate and its contents. Hardwick Hacks, formerly an Elizabethan mansion, but subsequently much altered, was set in enormous grounds. Her step-grandson, George Jerry Milner, Gibson, inherited the estate and took on the family name Cullum in 1878. He also became the High Sheriff of Suffolk in 1888-89. In recognition of his great support for the town, in 1913 he became the only non-elected mayor of Berries and Edmunds. Unfortunately, from him there was no issue, as this was very cultured man never married and died in 1921. After his death, the Crown seized the estate under the Intestate Act of 1884 and in June 1924 the contents were sold and Hardwick was offered for sale to be purchased by Mr Thomas Oakley of Luton and demolished in 1925. Much of the interior was reclaimed. Financier Halford Hewitt from Kensington had Hardwick Manor created in 1925-7 after local timber merchants, who had purchased some of the estate for the timber, declined the former gardener's cottage. Panelling and a staircase were used in the remodelling of Hardwick Manor in 1927 by local builder H.G. Frost, who lived nearby at Stonebridge. Kersey, Gale and Spooner were the notable architects who were responsible for St Paul's Anglican Church at Southwark. The extravagant Hewitt had at one time 11 gardeners working on the grounds. In 
He was also instrumental in setting up an eponymous national golf tournament for ex-pupils of public schools, played at the Royal Sank Ports Golf Club in Deal, still going today. Local builder Leonard Sewell, colloquially known as Lenny, purchased Hardwick Manor in 1953 for a rumoured sum of £20,000. He later also became Mayor of Bury in 1964. For many years, the annual Hardwick Fete in aid of the hospital was a popular attraction with celebrities such as singer Tom Jones and supermodel Sabrina opening it. As for the rest of Hardwick, it has been a World War II POW camp and from 1973 the site of the West Suffolk Hospital, since much extended. The rest of Hardwick is a fantastic resource for Bury with sports pitches, leisure activities and for dog walking. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Sheila, Harvey, Nick and Jill, it's goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.